Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. This is the 25th episode of my monthly feature, Our Voices, an inside look into a life journey that may be quite different than yours. We'll discuss ways to accelerate social change that level the playing field and help everyone live to their full potential. I encourage you to listen with curiosity and without judgment to this account of what it means to grow up, go to school, struggle, work, and live in our world. My guest today is Belief and Courage Personified. In May 2000, she separated from the father of her, their son, still in the womb, moved back to live with her parents, who are not yet retired, and prepared to give birth in the next few weeks. After a joyous birth, she recalls the blur of lack of sleep, sheer exhaustion, and a desperate desire to regain independence and create a different life for her son and herself. What followed was a national job hunt, researching and applying for hundreds of jobs, over dial-up connections, if anyone remembers those days, and scraping together money to go to interviews when invited. The only constant to this tedious slog was the rejection, overqualified, not the right fit, lack the right experience, or a salary barely enough to cover childcare. She landed as technical support professional and from there created the business case for a new role in IT asset management, moved on to several compliance management positions at Discover Card, Sears, and then a senior business operations manager at Apple. She found ways for her struggles to change her for the better. And in 2020, she started her own business, pursuing her entrepreneurial dream. I'll let her share her journey of finding victory in the face of seemingly insurmountable adversity, one I know we'll all be better for. It is a real delight to welcome Chioma Ihanachu to Our Voices. Chioma, thank you for joining me. Hi, good morning, Molly. How are you today? I could not be any better, my friend. And I think Ihanacho, did I get it right? Ihanacho. Ihanacho, Ihanacho. I'm, I'm modeling growth for the audience here. Ihanacho. Uh, uh, I really appreciate you being with us. Um, Chioma, we, I have to say we owe a shout out. It's to my nephew's father, Chuck Patton, for our crossing path. So Chuck, you know, you're out there. Thank you for your awesome support of Say It Skillfully. Yes, Chuck. We need more Chucks in this world. For sure. Thank you for having me, Molly. <laughs> um, this is new for me to be able to share my story. So well, <laughs> I know I, I can feel the little bit of tentativeness and I just, you know, I, the moment I read about you and I just said, you know what, I have to, I guess Chuck is, I trust his judgment. He's like, she would be really good. I said, and so I know this is just going to be wonderful learning for, for, you know, me for sure. And, and, uh, thousands and thousands of others. I was really moved um, by your journey, Chioma, and I really appreciate your willingness, even though you're quite a private person to, um, to share it. Well, yes, yes. Um, it, it was a, a 180 shift, I think um, you could say when, um, you know, 
my life was taking off. You know, I'd moved to Chicago after graduation. I was working at a swanky downtown law firm. I lived in a high rise that had great views. I could see, you know, Michigan Avenue and the river, Chicago River and uh, the lake, Lake Michigan. And I was just loving it. Um, and about a year later, I got married, got pregnant, got separated and later divorced. Um, the grueling part was trying to rebuild my life and naturally protect and nurture the life of my son. And quite honestly, I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified of being a single parent. Um, I was terrified of just, I had actually, I, you know, I had a few friends that were single parents and I looked at their like, they had no time like it was it was grueling um and i did not want to face those circumstances um and it's like you said molly you know when i began my uh, job search the, these were long hours on dialogue and <laughs> i don't know how many people remember dialogue but that's you know <laughs> it takes a long time to do everything especially on your dialogue connection and Sometimes it would get uh, disconnected or someone called that, that can also potentially disrupt your, uh, your uh, connection if you didn't have two way, I can't remember, but I remember there were, were many technical issues there, but um, just applying for jobs that I felt I was qualified for, just typing up the storm, handcrafting every cover letter and resume and emailing each recruiter and just very intensive long hours. Um, my job search spanned between Chicago to the East Coast. I was looking everywhere, including Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia. And I finally lined up some interviews in the DC, Virginia, Maryland area. And because my son refused to take a bottle and my parents were not yet retired, I knew I needed help. Um, so I asked a friend if she would join me and I booked a ticket for both of us so she could accompany me there and take care of my son during these interviews. The only thing is he, because he did not take a bottle, he had to travel with us. It wasn't like she could stay at the hotel with him and watch him. It wasn't like that. Um, so um, I talk about this in the article that you read that what it looked like was you know, I had everything mapped up for, for the, mapped out for the day, um, and I had the directions to get everywhere I needed to go, which was not, you know, that there there wasn't GPS at the time. No Google Maps. No Google Maps. <laughs> no ways. No Apple. <laughs> like there was just, yeah, you were on your own, so you you had to figure it out. Um, so traveling to these different interview sites just before I would get to the interview um, I would find a, a, not an abandoned parking parking lot but a, a parking space or parking area where there wasn't much traffic or foot traffic at all and um, I would I would get in the back seat nurse my son he would be okay and then um, my friend would uh, drop me off at the um, at the interview location, and this happened. 
this this probably took maybe six hours um, for that day. It actually it was two days. So it was just try. I was trying to get as nail as many um, interviews as possible. So <laughs> I could secure something before I left. And unfortunately, I didn't have any offers as um, as as you mentioned, and for many different reasons. And it, I was pretty defeated. I was pretty defeated. And I get back, you know, to the house, and I'm like, oh, goodness, what am I going to do? This is, I can't. I I have so much more that I dreamt for myself. So much more that I have imagined for my son. So you, you, you know, you start trying again. And um, actually one of the, um, the company that I'd worked for previously, this is where I met Chuck, um, they actually sent me, um, they knew I was looking for a position and the manager there uh, who I had worked for before was able to find a position for me um, back at that same company. And I was, <laughs> it, here's the thing. When you want things to happen, it seems like it takes forever. And then when it does, it's like, you're scrambling to, you, you, you know, you're in shock and you're like, wow, this really happened for me. I was so happy. We moved, but then I was facing, um, another struggle or challenge, which was being a single parent. And, and living the life of a single parent. Uh, but that was how I met Chuck. That was how, um, because we worked for the same company. Um, and I will close out here because this story is very long. <laughs> and I know there are other things to cover, but um, yeah, that's how we got back to, to the Chicago area. Um, mm-hmm. That that's great. That's um that's great. I, I can't really imagine it. And you think how hyper efficient, if you will, we are these days. That you know the idea of you driving around, <laughs> finding a space in a parking lot and doing what you did is, um, just it doesn't really seem like it could be real. And I know it was. Chioma, if you would for us, please take us back to just growing up. Um, family, brothers, sisters, what, what you recall uh, about growing up and maybe what you were like as a kid? I was, <laughs> um, I'm not sure if this is still a politically correct term, but I was a tomboy. Like anything that uh, the boys did, I wanted to do or I wanted to do better. And I wanted to compete with them because the girls didn't. They wanted to do uh, different things. And so I, I just um, enjoyed running. I enjoyed wrestling. <laughs> I enjoyed <laughs> climbing trees. Um, that was, I, I loved it. I loved that. Um, so it was very different, you know, um, very different than my siblings. My sisters are just outstanding people. And so are my parents, um, my Parents, you know, they did so much for me and my sisters. They, they made sure we had an education, uh, nice housing, great neighborhood. They sacrificed and they invested in our lives. Um, moving here to the States, because we lived in Nigeria at the time, although we were born here, um, it was a massive culture shock. 
um, massive culture shock because, you know, we found ourselves trying to navigate Southern culture, American culture, um, in a, you know, we were in a very different environment, very communal environment where we were before. I think it was the first time um, uh, that we encountered stress. We knew what stress was. <laughs> we knew what stress looked like. Um, it was, I can't complain about um, my childhood. You know, living in Nigeria was just an exceptional experience. Uh, we just, it was just fit. We it, beauty is all I can say. You know, it was just beautiful. It was um, loving. It was supportive. And then, you know, you move here. You have an accent. You know, uh, everything changes. <laughs> the way you communicate or try to communicate with other people changes. Um, you know, and there's there's an adjustment period. You know. Because there's, you know, there's teasing and bullying, you know. The funny thing is you, you never, even as an adult, teasing and bullying still exists. So to all the kids out there that, you know, it just changes. The way it looks changes. Um, but that was uh, definitely a challenge for us, you know, moving here. I love um, I loved where we were. I loved where we were in Nigeria. I, I you know, my, me and my sisters often talk about, um, you know, what that struggle looked like and how it impacts you. Um, just having that stress-free life. You know, I remember if you were hungry and you didn't have to run in, uh, you didn't have to run indoors for a snack. You have guava trees well within your reach. So it's just a matter of, plucking a fruit and eating it, you know? Um, but having to, to navigate culture, it was a challenge. Can you dive into this and not to bring back pain or all, but just to help, you know, f just folks appreciate it. You come to this place, you have accents and you, did, I mean, what did people say at school? And then when you came home, did you rally with your parents to help them understand what was going on? I'm just wondering how as a unit, you know, you just supported each other through, um, you know, yeah. a, a big move. Yeah. So the thing is, I, you know, many kids don't talk about what they encounter at school. It just becomes part of the day. And you don't, you know, unless something happens, you know, and I, I guess, you know, we, we were all just trying to make it, parents included. You know, there was um, uh, an integration pro process, there, the assimilation process, you know, as you tried to, to, uh, go along with whatever mainstream culture you're in, right? Um, some of the things that were, you know, you talk funny or um, you think you're so smart. Um, uh, your name, you know, people laughing at your name, right? Um, laughing at your first name and laughing at your last name. Um, I remember asking my mother and my father, I, I said, can, can I get my name changed to Linda Brown? Because I think everybody knows how to say Linda and everybody knows how to say Brown and nobody will laugh, 
when they hear Linda Brown. So, you know, there is a shrinking um, that takes place, you know, depending on the trauma that you're dealing with. You know, mine was trying to make sure I don't do anything to stand out. But all the things that I love to do, you know, singing, playing the violin, you know, uh, speaking, they all ended up being on stage. So you're going to stick out in some kind of way anyway. But it was, um, you know, that, that kind of stayed with me. That kind of stayed, it, it stayed, not kind of, it did stay with me. It did stay with me um, because it shapes what you, it shapes how you view yourself, especially if you don't understand the trauma that you're in. Um, and it also shapes what you will accept for yourself. Wow. I, uh, I'm a fellow violinist. It was a, a great refuge for me growing up. So um, I didn't realize we had that in common. Um, and when you say it stayed with you, Chioma, the onstageness, are you 100% comfortable on stage? Are you 50% of where you would want to be? Just share with us, you know, what stayed with you and, and if that's how you want to keep it or. So on stage, you know, I don't really, you know, there's, there's no singing and playing the violin anymore. <laughs> um, so the stage that I have now, I guess you could say is just the a vir virtual platforms like we're on right now. Um, you know, I think, you know, when you, um, when you're playing an instrument, there is a fear of making mistakes, um, whether you're singing or, or playing an instrument. You're singing, um, you can, your, your voice is your, your body is your instrument. Uh, whereas you're playing the violin, and your, uh, your fingers, your, your arms, your fingers, uh, you're using that to bring sound out of the instrument. And people can hear fear when you're singing. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you have, um, if you're steady enough with a violin, it's easier to mask your fear, right? So it was easier to mask my fear when I played an instrument, like right now, it's not easy to mask my fear right now because this is new territory for me sharing my story like this. So you can hear, you can probably hear a little trembling in my voice. <laughs> Sounds um, fabulous. But I, I love the discipline. You know, that was another thing that my um, parents were, um, I'm grateful for my parents for, for doing this. Um, they always made sure that we, you know, were surrounded by the best that they could afford, you know. Um, uh, they sent us to Radio Shack courses. <laughs> I remember taking that um, in the summer. Um, we took courses in German, uh, German to learn the German language. Um, speed reading courses, anything that was intellectually stimulating uh, or where we could, you know, um, playing instrument. I had spent many summers in these different clinics too for the violin. So in the summer camps or the music camps. Uh, but I appreciate that about my parents because, it, you know, it, it helps to uh, fine tune, you know, that laser focus 
It helps to fine tune your discipline. Um, even now, you, if you're spending long hours practicing an instrument or long hours, you know, rehearsing or anything, there is a fine tuning process that takes place because, you know, repetition deepens the impression and you can apply that same laser focus um, when you're at work. You're able to tune in and you're able to tune out the noise and you're able to tune into what you're doing. And I, and I attribute that to the discipline, um, not just from my parents, but also from uh, playing a, a musical instrument. Chama, how did you for academically decide what to study and the college thing, was that a given? And, um, you know, you were just, you were just a studious, great student. Just talk to me about how school was for you. I was not studious. I would say, you know, I learned how to be less. Um, that was, that was a point of contention for my, my parents, you know, um, we, we tested several grade levels out when we first moved. Um, but that was part of that, that shrinking process I was talking about earlier because I was like, you know what? I'm getting teased. People think are, are, are thinking I'm so smart. Um, and in a negative way, you know, it's not, it's not a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you, you know, I tried to stuff that down. And I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a studious person. I wasn't, I was not a studious person. And in, in terms of college, I had no grand plan that I created, but considering that my parents were both degree professionals with three degrees between them, there was no <laughs> alternative than to go to college. <laughs> so how did you, how did you pick what you did and where you went? There was no choice there as well. So, um, you know, we, we all attended where our parents selected and that was that, um, you know, you, there's, it's, it's very different than how I've raised my son, but I understand why my parents made the choices that they did, you know, um, and, and I'm better for it. So all of these, experiences they they do they shape you they, they mold you you know the thing is is not to um not to allow the circumstances that you're in uh, to overshadow your purpose you know and so i just i really believe in uh, empowering people empowering people to keep moving forward i think that was the title of the article um, because no matter what type of circumstance you're in, as bleak as it gets, um, there's a, you, you always have something. And I realized that there was privilege in um, even being able to afford to buy a plane ticket for myself, you know, and my friend. I realized that that was absolutely, not everybody has the same resources, right? Um, and I think it's important, you know, be careful about the narrative you play in other people's lives. Uh, if there is something you can do to help someone, it won't cost you anything. And I know in this day and age, it can 
you know, it's a risk. But I would say look beyond the exterior. It's easy to just cast judgment and think everything is a certain way. But, you know, there are people out there that are really struggling and really going through a great deal of pain, a lot of hardships. And if we can all just find ways to inject more love into this world and, and doing things from love and not uh, distrust, uh, we'll all be better for it. Here, here. I love this. Be careful about the narrative you play in someone else's life. Um, other than this saint who accompanied you on your all those job interviews, uh, any particular people that stand out uh, either growing up or in your career path? There, you know, people like my my parents, my sister. You know, I I idolized my mother. You know, we we things changed as I became a teenager, as most things change. <laughs> with uh, mother-daughter relationships, but um, I admired what, you know, I was like, she's this great businesswoman, you know, um, she just knew how to do everything. She could write, you know, she could sing. Um, my dad was a great mathematician. Um, I would, you know, if I'm coming to him for math homework, I'm like, I, I, I could not understand how my dad knew the answer to every single problem. I just, I was amazed, you know, and it's not like, you know, he didn't, he didn't major in mathematics. Um, but, uh, and my sisters, you know, uh, my sister, I have what one sister that's an anesthetist, another, she got her PhD in cellular and molecular physiology they're incredible, you know, so I don't have to look very far um, when it comes to, to mentors and people that uh, I admire. So lucky. I love, I love the bond that you have. Jelma, take us through, you know, I would say your corporate ascent before we get to starting your own company and just, you know, with the backdrop of just kind of, and I, I get this, this, I've got to fit in. And if I lay low and don't stand out, that's a win. So, you know, when you got back into the workforce, you know, what was that? What was that like for you? It was rigorous. It was rigorous. You know, when you have children and I only have one, you, uh, there's so much that you have to synchronize. <laughs> so uh, I would say for the sanity and consistency of our lives, we, my son and myself, you know, we had a sacred schedule. So if I were to take you through a day, what that looked like, um, well, well it, it changed constantly, but uh, my son was around five or six years of age and our day looked like this. You know, I, I would get up early. I always, I get up around 4, 4.30 every morning, um, regardless of the time zone I'm, I'm in. And um, I was getting up, getting ready, waking my son up, 
you know, I will say between five and 5.15, sometimes five between five and 5.20, because it took a couple of tries. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, you get up, you know, you have the morning routine together, finally off. At that time, it was dropping him off at, thankfully, there was a place that was open at 6 a.m. And they would give him breakfast and take him to school. I, hands down, my most favorite place <laughs> when he was growing up. Um, and from there, it was, uh, the commute was an hour and a half, sometimes closer to two hours to get there. You, and so you're, you're constantly putting on hats and taking off hats, right? So you, once you, you know, you pull in that parking lot and you head up the elevator or whatever, make it to your workplace you have a different persona right just even though you're thinking about your your family in the background you have these obligations that that you face um so that looks like okay now i am manager or i am managing these projects uh it's grueling but I love that. I love the multiple hats that you wear. Um, so the field that I worked in, in particular in asset management, you have so many different hats that you wear. I got accustomed to that, right? It's, it's built on compliance, but you have to know a lot about uh, procurement. You have to know a lot about um, software. Software is, is, everything is sitting on software. Everything that we do today is sitting on some type of software. And that looks like knowing the inside and out of these contracts, knowing how to make it make sense to the people, to the staff, to the people that are using these licenses. It's making sure that you know how to budget for it. Um, so you understanding the legalities and the risks. There is just, um, it's business operations, really. It's business operations because you're, you're constantly having to sell the um, the importance of of asset management, and you're also having to sell the in, importance of compliance uh, and making it make sense and relevant and making sure it's relevant to to different um, business units, making sure it makes sense to uh, executive management as well, because, you know, nobody wants to be out of compliance. I'm not sure if this was the direction you wanted me to head in for this particular question, but um, it's also what drove me to um, continue to do the same thing um, in, in the company that I have now. Yeah, there's no wrong on this. I appreciate it. Just, it's really great just to hear what your experience is. And, you know, I consider you like a really just wonderful communicator. How would you say being in the, the bigger companies and you were in some big companies, how was the communication piece? I mean, did you feel heard? I mean, I'd love to segue a little bit into, you know, I know you, you grew up feeling quite different as a youth and I'm just wondering what that was like in the workplace. It's the same thing. <laughs> uh, it's the same thing. Uh, 
you know, I am a black woman. So um, navigating corporate America, you are not going, it's, it's not going to be void of, of biases. It's not going to be void of racism. Um, but it's something that I've been accustomed to all my life. So you, you learn, and I, I don't say this is necessarily a good thing. Um, you learn to absorb a million cuts a day. There's so much that you don't talk about because it's just so much. And whether it's done intentionally or not, um, it's still, it's still, it still can be very damaging, right? It still is very damaging. When you think back, you know, here we are, 2022, do you think of ways you might have dealt with it differently? I'm just curious and no, you know, not advocating one should or shouldn't, just wondering. There were things I stayed silent about because you have to consider who you might be required to tell it to. And not everybody is receptive to seeing themselves or other people in a certain light. And I'm being very careful about my words here because I'm not trying to um, speak disparagingly uh, about a person or a corporation. At the end of the day, um, you know, it's people that work in corporations. It's people that work in corporations. It's, you know, and, and that takes, takes on a life of its own. I would encourage everyone to treat people with acceptance, respect, and trust because we need that too. Um, and when you are, when you are, and I'm speaking to, um, to everyone here, um, it's hard not to let those implicit biases uh, feed into your behavior. Uh, you 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 don't even see, you don't there. There's so much that you don't even realize or you don't understand that's taking place. Um, and you know, I'm being very careful with what I'm saying here. I just I don't know how I don't know how raw you want me to be here. Molly. There's no wrong. I love the treat people with respect and interest. And I want to encourage you to share your experience because, and, and to all listeners, um, it's always fair to share your experience. You're not making other people wrong or bad, but I think part of the, really the genesis of this uh, series is just, you know, people can't know if we don't help them know. <laughs> and so there's no, I, I know, and you're, I know you enough to say you're, you're not trying to make anyone bad or wrong, um, but I do want to encourage you that your voice and how you share how something may have landed for you can be a real epiphany for someone, right? And it's to your point, you know, I think the um, people don't realize or don't understand, you know, I've done this to people and it's been done to me. And the only thing we can share is hey, you know, this is how it landed for me. I don't know if that's how you intended it. Um, and I think to ask for what does help us to thrive is a chance everyone 
has, you know, I would say, take the opportunity to say, Hey, this is what I want to be my best self here. This is what would help me to do that. And, you know, again, you can only ask, but I, as listeners know, you do what you think is right to the best of your own ability. And you may not be, you may not be right, but you, you do what you think is right to the best of your ability and you'll sleep well at night. And if we all kind of inch that way, you know, I think we can, um, we can really all rise. Well, I'll try to keep it short. When you are corresponding, interacting with someone, whether you're in the workplace or not, that does not look like you. When you're talking with them, think about this. Would I speak to them differently? Would I treat them differently? Would I regard them differently or respect them differently if they looked like me, meaning yourself? If they look like me, how would, how would my communication change? So if I am speaking with someone that doesn't look like me at all, how would I treat them if they did look like me? What would change? Would I trust them more? Would I be kinder? Uh, would I be more compassionate? So I would, I would say that. Um, you know, I've met, written many articles, and I'm sure a quick Google search and people can find <laughs> um, how I've voiced, you know, my different experiences. Um, there was. Uh, an encounter in a workspace where someone had said to, had, had called out, you know, many of the places where I've worked, I've often been the only person of color or I've been the only black person. And then, you know, certain levels of management, it's not just, oh, I'm not just the only black person. I'm also the only woman in this room. You know, um, and although I, I don't have a specific example at this time to call, call out for these scenarios, um, there are plenty of them. Um, but it can be isolating if you if you're in a room and everybody looks like you except one person or two people. Ask yourself, how is the conversation landing with them? Make sure that they're included in the conversation. Do something to make sure that their voice gets heard too, or that their opinion is important, their thoughts are important, that they're valued. You know, so when I think about, um, But I think about what, what leaders um, can do to make this world a better place. It's really about building safe and inclusive spaces. If you're a leader in an organization or you have a great opportunity um, to start your own company, you're able to design a world wherever you are. And it 
doesn't have to uh, continue the behaviors that have been so destructive to to others. You know, you have yes. to, to create a world. And what do you want that to look like? How, how, how diverse? We live in a diverse world, so it's it's impossible to or rather destructive to exclude others. You know, like this, this world is full of color. You know, we, we can't deny that. We need to embrace that. Yes. I want to just go back. You shared some real gems here and, you know, leadership 101, I think that idea of, you know, when I'm speaking with someone, the putting myself potentially in their shoes. We can't know what it's like, but to at least take that step and an awareness of, am I speaking differently because this person doesn't look like me? It's a big aha. And just, just the intentionality behind that is huge. The, the notion of, you know, when we are perhaps, um, you know, not in the most diverse case, being able to help the voices that may have difficulty being heard to be the advocate for them is another, is a really great thing that people can do. And, and you don't have to be the leader. You can be anyone to help another person's voice get heard and to help them feel valued. Um, I mean, this notion of safe and inclusive spaces, I think people are like, yeah, 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 we want that. I, I do personally have positive intent with folks that they do. I'm not sure people realize to your point that that's a creative process. Like you can actually design that. Um, and I think I don't, again, there may be people that deliberately do destructive things. So I'm not saying that doesn't exist folks, but I'm not talking to that segment right now. I just think in most places, people don't realize the exclusion that's going on. So what I want to empower is whether you feel like you're being excluded or you see someone else, that's the real opportunity because assuming the positive intent that we don't want to exclude folks, people don't know. And, and I know people are like, how oh, do they not know? I'm telling you, they don't know. <laughs> and so the ability to skillfully say, hey, one thing here, this is what I noticed, just call out what we noticed. And it may be that you know, we've heard from a lot of the folks here, which is great, but I'm going to ask them to kind of tone it down because we'd love to just offer the folks that we haven't heard from and let's go around the room and hear from them. Boom. Right. Because sometimes, and I was one of those, I was a quiet, I wasn't a noisy. So if someone didn't pave the way, I was going to sit there, you know, and we just watch it all happen. And, you know, I love this notion. The world is full of color, color of all of ours, you know, like just the differences and embracing that. So, you know, I, I appreciate the sensitivity and uh, some of the hesitation, Gioma, and I think this is part of your own growth journey and just figuring out, you know, more and more uh, what feels right in sharing this and, and helping people learn and be better, because I know that that's um, a big part of, of who you are. I, I thank you for even giving me this opportunity to share. It's a growth point for me, right? It's a growth point for me uh, not to <laughs> um, tear myself down after this is over about the things I did say, didn't say, or I didn't like the delivery about what I said. 
that will be, you know, that's something I'm very good at that. I'm really good at that. Um, I don't know how many other people out there are really good at that, but I, I am a rock star at that behavior right there. <laughs> well, that's so great that you share that. And, you know, there's a balance. Don't that you can, this is when we quote unquote, tear ourselves apart. There's something there that you do that kind of serves you. And so honor that that was a way that helped you potentially be better that tearing yourself apart. And you have a choice. You can decide in 2022 that that is something you want to continue or not. Correct. Yes. You know, so what you you're empowering others. So fabulous. And this is a, a chance for you to empower you. So I don't, want to miss a chance for folks to share just you know you started your own firm so proud of you for that just give us a how did you go from job salary certainty and then you're like i'm out of there i'm starting my own thing yeah i it was at that point i had to there was no other choice i just um it was an hour now or never but you know my son you know i was i always was thinking, you know, okay, when my son graduates, when my son graduates from high school, then, you know, um, sometimes we have these goals in mind and we don't realize that they are limiting goals. And I, I could have left sooner. I could have left sooner. Um, you know, I launched right before <laughs> Corona, <laughs> right before COVID, <laughs> you know? Um, and I realized that, you know, I was just, I was resourced differently too. You know, not everybody it had the same or has the same resources that I did. I was able to do that. Um, and that, that's part of why I started my uh, company you know, I truly grew up around, not truly, but I grew up around truly amazingly talented individuals. Um, and some of them had golden opportunities, many others did not. And I just really hate to see dreams die. I, I, I hate, I hate it. Um, and where people are not able to live up to, the, to their uh, full potential. And many times it's because they don't have the right resources. So they have all the talent in the world, but they lack the business sense to execute. They lack the resources to execute. Um, so, you know, I, I balance two, two sides of my business and that is working with entrepreneurs and working with organizations, consulting for organizations and coaching um, and helping people build businesses, entrepreneurs build out their businesses. Many times people think, oh, I just need a website or I want a website, not understanding that they're not launching a website, they're launching a business. The website is part of that, but there's a whole operations piece um, there. And what, you know, my main driver is making sure that people are empowered. It's also why I have um, not just the, the business side, but there's also the talent representation side because I've seen people in the music industry I like to write music I like to listen to music love it um, and there are colleagues 
friends of mine in the music business that have been taken advantage of because they signed a, a, a contract, they signed an agreement that was not in the best interest at all. So part of uh, my business is the, is the talent representation side and making sure that artists um, have a more polished image online. So, uh, again, that's a resource issue because you know there are struggling artists out there that don't have those resources. So you know it, it's to help protect people and and to help elevate them as well. And then the the other brands, socially conscious platforms. Um, that's the third part or third line of the business. I, and it's really meant to empower communities to connect with each other. Uh, and that's not just, um, everybody needs that connection, right? Uh, everybody needs to feel empowered. I think so much of what the world's problems that exist right now have to do with people um, fighting for power or some agency over their lives. And there's a reason for that because there's a power structure. It's what people do with the power that they have. Right? So the platforms that I've created is to, you know, there's some things that we may not be able to change, but those things that we have the ability to change, let's work towards that. So, you know, we may not be able to stop the actions of others, but what can we do to build ourselves up and be, just be more kind and more thoughtful um, about the people around us? And I think that, that I'm sure that has a lot to do with the communal environment that I, that I grew up in, in Nigeria because it was, it was truly a, I, I, I loved it. That's all I can say, I, I loved it. And, um, and the platforms that I've created, I, I'm trying to replicate that. I can see very clearly now that that is what I'm trying to do. Um, and make sure that everybody's story is heard. And I speak specifically, you know, there's a, there's a narrative about, um, Black people, African-Americans, um, Black people all over the world. And, you know, I may be able to, you know, I've been on vacation by myself before and in, in areas where I am the only person that looks like me. <laughs> I'm the only Black person or I'm the only Black woman. Um, and those spaces, aren't always inviting, far from it. Um, a lot of assumptions can be made about my profession, unfortunately. And I want to empower the people that look like me and I wanna challenge the people that don't look like me um, to be aware uh, to be, to dare to go inward, really, to dare to take the journey within. And this is something that we all can do, but I, I speak specifically about racism here, 
you know, dare to be, dare to take a risk to be wrong about what you may have thought about yourself. Yeah. It's, um, this is not, wasn't intended, but it's not surprising to me because in this whole notion of say it skillfully, the number one thing is being in good relationship within and to dare to go inward for lots of us can be really scary. Uh, it can be a place where frankly, sometimes we see things we really don't like about ourselves and to have to just confront that and to be okay with that, to decide if we want to change it or not. Um, and those that takes an intentionality that uh, I think lots of times in a busy world, it's hard to take time out to actually consider, um, to consider that it's easier, it's easier to be doing, you know, and, and busy. So I, I really appreciate what you stand for in empowering those around you, Gemma. I know we could go on and on. Um, let me just uh, close with, um, you know, what was it like for you? to share your journey today? There was some timidity there and there still is, you know, um, but it's also freeing because I, I feel more, I guess maybe I need to get warmed up, you know? <laughs> um, but I think it's about creating opportunities like you create your own platform you're creating opportunities for people to share their stories um and it's about creating safe spaces because this is a it's a safe space to do so um i think about you know i think about my son um you know he's just this beautiful powerful all-around just, I mean, he just, <laughs> um, I try to make sure that I gave him as much autonomy as possible. And what was challenging for me was putting into practice what I believe that children aren't meant to be molded. What they need is safe spaces to unfold into who they're meant to be. So I had to put that into action when my son was into this fearless rollerblading stunts that he would do as a boy. <laughs> uh, it was putting, in, putting myself in uncomfortable spaces to help support his journey. Even when he played football in high school, I mean, I, I had many cringing moments, but it, it was important to give him that space to be adventurous, to be an explorer. Um, and I also learned that even if I saw him heading into what I thought was the wrong direction, you know, as he got older, even if I talked with him and I, I hoped he would take something from what I shared um, about my perspective or experiences, he could choose to do something that's completely opposite. <laughs> and he has every right to do that. Um, so it wasn't easy. It wasn't an easy thing to do. It wasn't something that came easily. Uh, I eventually had to practice, I would say, emotionally detaching myself from the investment of my advice, which also helped me to detach myself from the outcome of whatever he chose to do. So even if a particular route he desires to take in life, 
may negatively impact his life, in my opinion, his options in life, um, those are his decisions to make. And it doesn't make me a better parent to bend his will or perspective to mine. It's important for him to make his own mistakes and they're his to make, and only he can take ownership for them. So, you know, I've, I've seen, if children aren't allowed to make their own mistakes, they'll harbor a resentment. Sometimes that's even hidden to themselves for those mistakes that they didn't make. And I think there's a value in those lessons to be learned and it's how to recover from bad choices and mistakes. And if that's not experienced, the desire to make those same or similar mistakes, they're gonna surface at the most inopportune times. And sometimes, some, sometimes at a much later stage in life when the stakes are higher and the risk is so much greater. Um, Wise words, we're gonna have to wrap. I, uh, I'm so grateful you joined me. You light up all of us fortunate to be in your Hello, dear Tioma. I uh, appreciate you and you going there. I know it was a, a growth opportunity for you. You know I'm cheering for you to live your passion and your purpose and in doing so to help others empower themselves. So I want to thank you for being part of the solution and helping all to be safe, seen, and heard and our true and very best selves, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll see you soon. Okay, folks, my thought for the week from the American author, theologian, and civil rights leader, Howard Thurman, someone Shioma quotes a lot, never reduce your dreams to the level of the event, which is your immediate experience. And that is a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Chioma's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways. And know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. 
kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 